thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area, but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse number 1. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the Gentiles or the heathen, Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen, with an axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers, so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried, because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they can not do evil, nor can they do any good. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and your name is great and in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought forth up from Tarshish and gold up from Euphaz. The work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the metalsmiths. Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And His wrath, the earth will tremble. Or excuse me, at His wrath, the earth will tremble. And the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Thus you shall say to them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. And he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of treasuries. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. This is the word of the Lord and it is eternally true. There is a phrase and I'm going to try as we get going along here to preach fast, which means that you have to listen fast. Um, But there's a phrase from Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 that is driving my thoughts for the sermon this morning and most likely the sermon next week before we return to the book of Galatians, which we will. But since we're in this little break, uh, there is a couple things I want to cover before we return. But the writer of Hebrews makes this statement, and it says in the King James that it is God with whom we have to do. That is a very interesting statement. John Calvin commented on this in his commentary that little phrase there in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, and he said, the meaning is that it is God who deals with us, or 
with whom we have a concern, and that therefore we ought not to trifle with him as with a mortal man, but that whenever his word is set before us, we ought to tremble, for nothing is hid from him. That's the reason why we've been taking so long to cover some things in relation to the Word of God in Sunday school, rather than getting to the point of actually what we're going to be doing in Sunday school, is because uh, we have lost this view of the Bible and of the Word of God. We no longer believe it is actually the preserved Word of God, that it is the Word of God, Because if we really did believe that it was the word of God, wouldn't there be more fear of God? We may consider that passage next week as a follow-up sermon to this one before we head back to the book of Galatians. But one of the things that is missing today is an understanding that it is God with whom we have to do. God is the one whom we have to deal with because he is dealing with us. He is the one that we are accountable to. And it is to him that we will give an account, both in this life and in the one to come, concerning the things that we believe and practice. He is the creator and we are the creation, but today we are doing everything possible to suppress the truth about God and his righteousness. And it is everywhere and to the point that even our idle thoughts and words reek of faithless, atheistic presuppositions today. Things that we just commonly assume are assumptions are just atheistic. It has became ingrained in us. And the younger you are, the worse it is. Whether it is politics, because we're not supposed to talk about politics, because the Bible doesn't talk about politics. But whether it is politics, religion, or culture, Every narrative is being dominated by an atheistic view in the present day. All throughout American culture. We no longer begin with the sovereignty and providence of God. Because God is not at all in our thoughts. We don't begin there. Because we are not attempting... We are not seeking to understand the world and make application from a view where God is sovereign over us and sovereign over all things. Our confession and the confession that was the basis or the foundation for Western Christendom, for Western Protestantism, says this, the light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all. The confession then goes on to say this, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. But we were mocked. We were told that we were Neanderthals. For believing in the myth of God and the Bible. We were told that the evolutionists were the enlightened ones. And that we must come out of the darkness into the atheistic and humanistic enlightenment and trust in science. But actually in western civilization didn't science come from Christians? It was the Christians who were the first scientists because they were seeking to understand the world that God had created so that they could praise him and give him glory. This modern science, falsely so-called, is really just the atheistic hijack of science. And that science was on full display last Thursday, and I'm going to read to you the news report of it. Planned Parenthood director, and you'll have to forgive me, 
I am going to slaughter this guy's name. Parenthood doctor, sorry, not director. Parenthood doctor, Havik Kumar, something like that. My Brown County redneck hillbilly tongue has problems with Middle Eastern names. <laughs> I did, don't roll off my tongue the way it's supposed to. So I butchered his name. But anyway, he is the Planned Parenthood doctor, or a doctor for Planned Parenthood. Said, and I quote from the news report, said, men can get pregnant and give birth during a congressional hearing on Thursday. So they're having congressional hearings in Washington, D.C. And there was an MD, a doctor, sitting before them to give testimony. And his testimony is this. Men can have babies and give birth. It's science. It goes on to say that Dr. Kumar, Kumar, probably, can uh, was, uh, asked this, can biological men become pregnant and give birth? He was asked that by Representative Andrew Clyde from Georgia. During a Thursday hearing held in the Oversight and Reform Committee, <laughs> that's the kind of reformation we don't want, he responded, um, so men can have pregnancies, especially trans men. So are you saying that a biological female who identifies as a man and therefore becomes pregnant is, quote, a man, Clyde followed up? Is that what you are saying? Somebody with a uterus may have the capacity of becoming pregnant, whether they're a woman or a man. That doesn't make a difference. Not every person with a uterus has the ability to become pregnant, Kumar responded. This is medicine. St. Anthony the Great warned in his third world, third century world, not third world century, but third century world, he warned, a time is coming when men will go mad. And when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him saying, you are mad. You're not like us. Today we have reached that place. We have reached that point in America. I don't know if St. Anthony reached that place during, in the world that he was living in, but we definitely have. We too have reached such a day when all you can say is that it is no joke it is no joke when God sends strong delusion. Wow. And, you know, we're not seeing it only in sexuality issues. <laughs> the hurricane in Florida brought a new onslaught of climate change nonsense. But at least it gave us a break with an actual significant weather event. For, you know, a, a Category 4 hurricane, that is a significant weather event. There's been many like it. <laughs> there have been ones more powerful than that one. But it is a very significant weather event. And so it gave us a, a break with an actual weather event, at least. Instead of the previous weeks of climate change fear-mongering because, oh my goodness, it's 90 degrees the earth is melting. We're dying. I mean, imagine 90 degrees in Indiana in July and August. It's shocking, isn't it? And why are we being bombarded with these endless charades of science so-called? Because we're godless. That's why. But there's nothing new under the sun, amazingly enough. And don't think for a moment that these delusions, these lies, these deceptions are somehow new or special to our day. 
I mean, we just read in Jeremiah chapter 10 about these people going and cutting down a tree and fancying it all up and doing all their carving and woodworking and metalworking and then carry it around as a god. That's pretty delusional too, isn't it? So it's nothing new to our day. I mean, we're not the special ones. But the title of this sermon is God versus the Heathen. As we are once again embroiled in this age-old battle between light and darkness, good and evil, truth and error, God and man. It is a battle of faith with the question to be answered. Faith in whom? Or maybe a subversion of that. Faith in what? Here we have an example during the ministry of Jeremiah to the children of Judah. And if you remember, because we're actually going through Jeremiah too, remember that? Anyone? Anyone remember us going through the book of Jeremiah? It's been a while. But we are. But if you remember, Jeremiah's name means raised up or a Appointed by Jehovah. God called Jeremiah and would become what we call a major or greater prophet because of the significance of his book and its place of importance in the Bible, but also because of his ministry. He was called to the prophetical office when he was young, as we see in chapter 1 and verse 6 of Jeremiah, in the 13th year of the godly and great King Josiah, somewhere around 628 B.C. This is what the Bible says about Josiah in 2 Kings 23 and verse 25. It says, now before him, can anyone name me anyone before Josiah that was a king? Solomon, David, Saul. Okay, so those are the highlights, right? There was many others, but we think of them. But there was no, before Josiah, there was no king like him. The Bible says that he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. He was greater than Solomon, greater than David, greater than Saul. There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart. And with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. So before or after him, the Bible says there was nobody like King Josiah. David, it is said of David that he was after God's own heart. But yet, Josiah is lifted up above him because it's said of him that he turned to the Lord with all his heart. Jeremiah left his hometown and went to reside in Jerusalem where he greatly assisted Josiah in the work of Reformation. It was the greatest Reformation in the history of Israel, whether the uh, combined kingdom or when the kingdom was split into two, the northern and the southern kingdom. But throughout all the history of Israel, there was not a reformation like this. And Jeremiah was instrumental in assisting Josiah in this work of reformation. But then Josiah died. Jeremiah proclaims it to be a national calamity. The death of one man. And Josiah is, or Jeremiah is proclaiming that it's a national calamity. Because he knows what is in store and what is going to happen. So during the three years of the reign of Josiah's son, Jehoaz, we don't find any reference to Jeremiah, but in the beginning of the reign of Josiah's other son, Jehoiakim, we discover that the hatred of the people is stirred up against Jeremiah, and they persecute him severely. He was placed under restraint. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, he was commanded to write the predictions given to him and to read them 
to the people on the fast day. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because of his warnings of judgment, his call to repentance, and his lamentations for the sins and the destruction of God's people. And within this prophetic ministry, Jeremiah proclaimed the sovereignty of God and the providence of God in his glory, majesty, power, and dominion over all gods, over all creation, over all people. As John Gill wrote in his introduction to Jeremiah 10, this chapter shows that there is no comparison to be made between God and the idols of the heathen. This is a message, this message that we find from Jeremiah that came unto him from the Lord. This is the message that must return to the pulpits of America, to the pulpits of Europe and to the pulpits of Western civilization. And I'm speaking specifically in relation to those peoples because we are seeing the destruction of the West. And this is the message that must return to the pulpits of America and to all platforms being used by the church to proclaim this pulpit message. First of all, it is a message to hear the word of the Lord. That's the way it starts off, right? Verse number one. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, or excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord. In chapter 2 of Jeremiah, we see this proclaimed, Hear ye the word of the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 13, Hear and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. In Jeremiah chapter 22, hear the word of the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 42, and now therefore hear the word of the Lord, you remnant of Judah. All throughout his ministry, it was a call to hear the word of the Lord. And then we see the authority of the message. First of all, it is a call to hear the word of the Lord. And then we see the authority of the message, thus says the Lord. That statement is a statement of authority. Thus saith the one true and the living God. Thus saith the creator of heaven and earth. Thus says Jehovah. There's authority in this message. Jeremiah wasn't going around saying, Well, if it would be okay with y'all... And I just think that this would be a better way. That's not the way that this message was delivered. It was a thus saith the Lord message. It has authority to it. Why does it have authority to it? Because the word of the Lord is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Because all scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Because it is authoritative. A call to hear the word of the Lord is a call to submit to the Lord. Hearing implies more than just listening to your favorite classical rock station on the radio. This hearing is different than that hearing. It is implied when it is stated all throughout the word of God to hear the word. It is implied that that hearing is a submission in order to do what you hear. We're told to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Which is why Jesus said, Men sh- or man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Which is one of the problems we have today, right? We eat our bread three times a day. We're lucky if we get the bread of heaven once a week. 
That's called starvation. Unless you want to try it with physical bread once a week. It's starvation, right? People need to hear the word of the Lord, and it is lacking in our day, not only in the pulpit, but in the attendance of the people. That is the reason why Americans rarely attend church. You know what they consider a churchgoer nowadays when they do all the polls? Someone who attends at least once a month. That's considered a churchgoer. (laughs) But Americans rarely attend church, if at all. And then we do not have services for people to hear the word of the Lord because, why? Well, no one will attend. Regardless, the word of the Lord must go forth. And people need to hear the word of God whether they want to or not, whether they like it or not, whether they appreciate it or not. You see, these are the words of their creator and the one to whom we are all subject to. People today have no authority over them and they are rebellious because they refuse to hear the word of the Lord. Jesus prayed to his father concerning his disciples. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we preach the word of the Lord and people question why. Well, it is so that you can know the way of salvation, so you can know the Lord and respond to him, to respond to his glory and majesty and his power, might and dominion, and to respond to that in true praise and worship and submission. But it's also so that you will be sanctified. That way you won't be as bad as you could be. So we preach the word of the Lord and the people question why. It's like, I have to go to church to hear a sermon about why I have to go to church. They question why. Why do we have to attend worship and the preaching of the word? Why do we have to tithe? Why do we have to serve? Well, for one, and if for nothing else, it's so you won't be a narcissist. Right? So you'll not be self-absorbed and selfish. You see, back when we had regular church attendance, giving and service in the church, were we less selfish then than we are today? Are we more selfish today than we were then? How would you categorize that? What do you think? So, how many people today do you think would boldly in confidence. Bold confidence. And sacrificially. Willing to give it all up. 18 years old. 19 years old. 20 years old. Maybe 30 years old. Boldly and sacrificially take part in an amphibious landing in a Higgins boat on a beach. At the base of hills and mountains where thousands of Japanese soldiers were entrenched with machine gun nests and artillery. How many do you think? I mean, for crying out loud, even the Russians can't get their soldiers to fight. I know one thing. There's one thing I know that I would do if I was Putin. There would be some soldiers. (laughs) There would be some examples. I mean, they can't even get their soldiers to fight. And we thought they were the big bad Russians, right? Oh, we don't ever want to get into a scrap with them. They'll eat us alive. Well, they can't even get their soldiers to fight. There's videos on YouTube with these Russian soldiers calling home, crying to mommy. Literally. Crying. on video chat phones, hoping their mommies can somehow get them out of the military. Truly, 
Solomon wrote, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Without the word of God, you see, there is nothing else. There is no civilization. You say, what what about all the humanistic... uh, All they were doing was living off of the prosperity of Christianity. But the tab's coming due. And they can't pay. The bill is due. And humanism and the Enlightenment and modernism and postmodernism, they they can't pay the bill now. Why? Because they were living off of past glory of someone else that they were seeking to destroy. You see, without the word of the Lord, without the Lord, there's nothing else. There's no civilization. There's no society. There's no nobleness. There's no courage. There's no blessings. There's no good thing to be expected. In Daniel chapter 9, as he's praying his great prayer, he says, Yes, all Israel has transgressed against your holy law, even by departing, that they might not obey your voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us. And the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven has not been done as has been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. The prophet Malachi. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 2, If you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. That is why the prophets boldly declare, Thus saith the Lord. But then notice the message of the Lord. And it's really pretty simple, right? In verse number 2, I'll give you the James Brown translation. Don't be a heathen. Don't learn the way of the heathen. And do not be terrified by the signs of heaven, although the nations are terrified by them. This is an interesting statement, is it not? Now, If there ever was a message for today, it is this. Don't be a heathen. These words used to be on the lips of every mother, especially speaking to their sons. Right? The table manners, civility. Don't be a heathen. Now, when I was really small I didn't know exactly what a heathen was but I definitely knew I didn't want to be one eventually we came to understand it meant good hygiene orderly appearance modesty civility and things like that and here is the Lord's message to his children don't be a heathen and you find it basically throughout all the prophets and all throughout the book of Jeremiah don't worship creation don't murder your babies don't commit fornication don't be a heathen However, the foundation of this message begins with perspective, a proper perspective or a proper worldview. And yes, it includes all the ways, ways like in the ways of the heathen, the religion of the heathen. You can apply it to the whole kit and caboodle. Ways meaning religion and ethics culture but the lord begins his command not to learn the way of the heathen by forbidding his people to be terrified by the signs of heaven we have to be very careful about signs although signs are a real thing we usually get it wrong because we are superstitious in our superstition we unchain anything said we unchain whatever it is, 
in our superstition. We unchain it from natural or special revelation, meaning what God has revealed in creation and his word. So we're not interpreting signs based upon the revelation of God. We unchain it from that so that we can give our own revelation. Why? Because we're superstitious. This is why we have to be careful about signs. It's a good thing to know and understand God's revelation in and through signs. But we also need to remember that Jesus gave a warning about signs in two different places. In Matthew chapter 12, it says that some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And then in Matthew chapter 16, it says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees Sadducees came, testing him, asked him, that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, before the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Two different places. Where... They came asking for a sign, and he responds in the same way. Today we are being bombarded by the Antichrist about signs and impending doom. Ice Age. No, it's not the Ice Age anymore. The earth's now going to melt. We were going to freeze to death, but now we're going to melt. No, now it's climate change. Which means that every time the weather changes, the message is that we are all going to die. It's summertime and it's hot. Oh, climate change, we're going to die. It's wintertime, it's cold. Oh, climate change, we're going to die. And Christians are no better. Red heifers. Limestone from Bedford. Earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes. And by the way, hurricanes are not found in Jesus' prophecy in Matthew chapter 24 because his prophecy was about a specific people at a, in a specific place and in a specific time. I mean, seriously, what good is a sign if the sign keeps constantly occurring for 2,000 years? Jesus' prophecy was about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., And we need to also remember that the abomination of desolation as spoken of by the prophet Daniel cannot take place. It absolutely cannot take place because there's no temple for it to take place in. It can't take place. So for all of these years in American Christianity, we've been harping about this stuff and it can't take place. Because it wasn't talking about an abomination of desolation in 2022. It was talking about an abomination of desolation in A.D. 66 through 70. But notice in Matthew 24, it says, Jesus departed out from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, or truly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. What's he saying? The temple's going to be destroyed. And then verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Notice, In Matthew 24, verse 34, Jesus actually answers their question. When he says, assuredly or truly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things, all the things he just said in Matthew 24, all these things shall take place. What I'm saying is that we have to be careful about signs. We cannot just give any meaning to signs as we like, as we prefer. So the hurricane in Florida is a sign. 
But it is not a sign that Christ is going to return immediately because there was a hurricane. Or that Antichrist is going to now set up his kingdom because there was a hurricane. Antichrist has been here for a long time. The sign that should have been heeded was that the radar system was going off and sending forth alerts, and the emergency system was telling everyone to evacuate. That was the sign. Because they are prone to hurricanes, right? That's a sign. If you live in an area that's prone to hurricanes, and the emergency system's going off, that is a sign to evacuate. But here, in Jeremiah, we're being told, don't be terrified by the signs in the heavens. All throughout history, the earth has been shaken in various ways by all kinds of events. Whether it's war, famine, pestilence, natural disasters. And the earth is being shaken. It's going to be shaken. And we shouldn't be terrified. It was being shaken here in Jeremiah's day. And we shouldn't be terrified because the kingdom of Jesus Christ shall stand. In the pulpit commentary, it has something interesting to say here. It says that way here is equivalent to religion. So you have the religion of the heathen here. And uh, there's this connection to the signs and so forth. And it goes on to say in the pulpit commentary that it that the be not dismayed at the signs of heaven is alluding to astrological calculations based upon extraordinary appearances in the sky. Dodorus Siculus wrote and remarked about this in his Greek history, somewhere around 3rd century or something. And his statement is fully confirmed by the Babylonian tablets that the appearance of comets, eclipses of the sun and moon, earthquakes, and in fact every kind of change occasioned by the atmosphere, whether good or bad, both to nations and to kings and private individuals, were omens of future events. End of quote. Whoa. That has a lot of application to Western civilization, does it not? And to our current times. But notice next that the heathen customs are delusions. And I'm going through my mind in a terrible frantic trying to figure out what I'm going to do here because um, we're not making it through very well. But notice the heathen customs are delusions in verse, verse 3. For the customs of the peoples are, in some translations, it's delusion. In others, it's futile. In others, vain. The custom, the heathen customs are actually delusions. The heathen culture, the heathen religion, the heathen ethics, the, everything is delusion. It's vain. In other words, the heathen are delusional. They're nuts. And I read you an example earlier that they're nuts. They're delusional. Jeremiah goes on to say that they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. And what they believe is a worthless doctrine. It reminds me of Romans chapter 1, right? Go home and read Romans chapter 1 and remember this statement. Strong delusion is no joke. Here... In Jeremiah's day, they make gods, which makes them the creator of the gods. Gods that cannot speak. Gods that must be carried about. As the psalmist said, they are the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses have they, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. They have feet, but they cannot walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. <laughs> you see, those who oppose God and reject his revelation become delusional. 
And that is the reason why you watch the news and you say, these people are insane. Strong delusion is no joke. But then notice the application of Jeremiah. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Then notice down in verse 10, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King in His wrath. At His wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. In other words, things get really bad when God is rejected. We find this throughout the history of Israel. How that they had been a long season without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. And it was horrible. But the Lord is the true God, the living and the everlasting King, and no one's going to be able to stand against him. Who, Nahum asked, can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. You see, it's not climate change that we need to fear. It is an angry God that we need to fear. And the message of the Lord continues in verse number 11. God says, thus you will say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. So remember, all these guys spouting off all their nonsense, they're going to die, they're going to perish. They're not going to stand forever. The gods of the people are not who made the heavens and the earth. The creator is Lord over his creation and he will do whatever he pleases. But you can rest assured that climate change is not going to destroy the earth. You can rest assured that nuclear war is not going to be the end of the world. Because the Lord, the one true and the living God, he is the creator of heaven and earth. And he has revealed in his word. That he created and he established them forever and ever. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah chapter 31, and this expands over into chapter 33 where it's talking about the covenants and then the new covenant that would come. The new covenant in Christ. And to show and to give Assurance and certainty of the new covenant and that it will stand forever. You know what he compares it to? The heavens and the earth. (laughs) The psalmist says that God built the earth which he has established forever. He, in Psalm 89, he is established forever. It shall be established forever like the moon. You see, the Lord established the earth and it abides. And the psalmist says, because of that, we understand that your faithfulness endures to all generations. See, the Lord shall dissolve the old fallen world and renew the world with everlasting righteousness. But in the midst of all that, and in the midst of the earth being shaken, the Lord says, do not learn the way of the heathen, and do not be terrified by the signs of heaven. Although the nations are terrified by them, and they should be. Why? Because the customs, the way of the people is delusional. And so then... We see the final application of Jeremiah in verse 12 where he says, He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and he brings the wind out of the treasuries. See, instead of worrying about 
climate change, what we should do in response to the hurricane down in Florida, is lift our hands towards heaven. Great are you, O Lord. You are mighty. You are powerful. Your dominion is over the whole earth. Who can withstand you? And humble ourselves before him. And repent and seek his face. Because he is sovereign and he is in control of all things. The earth is subject to its creator. And when God brings a hurricane, it is for a reason. When God brings heat, it is for a reason. When God brings cold, it is for a reason. And although in one sense it is part of the curse, it is providentially specific to the place and the time as well. But primarily, all things happen to reveal that the Lord, He is God. And there is no God like Him. It is to reveal His glory, His majesty, His power, and His dominion. It is to show that show man that we are but grasshoppers in his sight, and therefore we should fall down before him in humility, faith, and repentance. These are signs, and they are signs that man must repent and turn to the Lord or perish. You see, there's a lot of shaking going on in the earth, just as there has been a lot of shaking going on in the past. All throughout history and there's going to be shaking that's going on in the future. But that shaking. We should not be terrified as Christians. Because that shaking is to destroy the works of the devil. And to bring in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray that our confidence and trust would be in you and that we would not fear. Even if the mountains were removed. Even if the earth melted. That we would not fear. That we would not be terrified. But that we would trust in you knowing that you are sovereign over all things, that you are working all things according to your will, and that you will be victorious in the work that you have begun in reconciling this world back to yourself. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to look to you and to you only, knowing that what you are doing is for the good of all those who love you and are called according to your purpose. In Christ's name we pray, amen.